Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth-building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought-provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Sheff. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. It's that time again. It's Friday. I'm here, folks, to walk you through another episode of the Cashflow Guys podcast. I've said time and time again, I've got a special treat. I always try to one-up myself every single time. This time, I'm going to blow you out of the water. It is. Let's see. We've just finished. Uh, by the time you're hearing this episode, it'll be episode 53, somewhere in there, which means that we've been around for 12 months. Every week, we have heard from us. And based on our stats, we've heard that a lot of you have been with us since day one, which is outstanding. Those of you that haven't, just a little bit of, of, of a repeat there. We've made some changes to our website. We have a new podcast player that allows their listeners to go easily back to episode one, start from the beginning and listen to all the different topics that we've talked about today. Man, I'm pumped up. We've got Jay Papasan. He is a best-selling author that serves also as the VP and executive editor at Keller Williams Realty International world's largest real estate company. And he's also the VP of Keller Inc., co-owner of Keller Capital and co-owner of Pompous and Properties with his wife. Keller Williams Realty in, in Austin, Texas. Now, Jay is best known for his most recent work with Gary Keller on The One Thing, one of my favorite books. Those of you who listen to the show, you hear me, you've heard me talk about this book over and over again. My coaching students, they hear about this because this is a required read. This thing sold a half million copies worldwide, going on more than 250 appearances on a national bestseller list, including the number one spot on Wall Street Journal's hardcover business list. Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Tyler. I appreciate that. And thanks for the warm introduction. I, yeah, I got to tell you, underachiever, huh? Just really not, not very motivated to accomplish much. Is that kind of how it works? I like to lay around and watch a lot of Netflix. You know how it is. There you go. I hear those bonbons are outstanding. I've never had the time to try them, though. <laughs> Jay, it's just great to have you. Uh, you know, I was researching your accomplishments, and I've, rem I've been reminded that you've co-authored several books. Uh, one of them, near and dear, is the uh, the Millionaire Real Estate series of books, Real Estate Agent, which I am, Real Estate Investor, which I am. It also seems that each time you release a new book, it's just, it's a complete home run. It's a overwhelming hit. What's your secret? Uh, to be the co-author with someone like Gary Keller. I mean, <laughs> if you really want to know the one thing, well, I mean, he's been my, my first, my boss, then my mentor, then my partner. Um, and the guy lives his life at a really high level. And so a lot of the accomplishments that you listed, um, I'm going to point right back to him as the coach that sh that's pushed me and prodded me to be my best on every leg of the way. And I mean, I would wish that on everyone. I mean, I love it. I, I, I feed off of it. I like to have people around me who have higher expectations of me than I do of myself. And um, it just pushes you to be the best you can be. So that that's the secret. You know, Gary built a huge company. Um, he really has surrounded himself with some incredible people. 
And, you know, you've got a platform, right? You've got a podcast. And that's the name of the game these days for any modern business is what's your platform. He's got a huge one. It's worldwide. So when we release a book, like each time we released a book, the platform was just that much bigger that we were launching it into. So it's been very synergistic for us to build our publishing enterprise in the middle. I mean, it's so unlikely. Who builds a publishing house inside of a real estate company? But it's been very synergistic for us in our little niche, and it's worked. Yeah, I was going to say nobody but you, really. It's it's been quite amazing watching you guys grow. It's been awesome. I mean, I'd throw out the guys at Bigger Pockets, they, and I don't know if you're getting into the world of books too. I hope you do. There's room for all of us to succeed. Do they have a platform in real estate? And I, I'm just surprised more people haven't done it. Right? Build a platform and use that to deliver really high quality stuff. And uh, you know, I, you were saying, I mean, people have been with you since day one. 12 months of listening to a podcast, um, you're delivering value. So way to go, man. That's, this is an area where people are starved for value. Cause there's, you know, this, there's a lot of charlatans in this world. Oh, that's yes, definitely understated. That's for sure. And, and we've, that's, I think that's been part of the, of the success of our show of my show is that I've, I've been very diligent about weeding, being very careful about number one, who I bring on the show and what I introduce to the audience, that it's actionable. It makes sense that there's no, we're, we're authentic here. We are who we are. Um, well, I applaud that. I mean, because a huge part of my wealth has been built in real estate, but I've also witnessed people um, take bad advice. Um, and what's sad is I think a lot of the bad advice is coming from really well-intentioned people. I mean, it's not like they're crooked. Right. Um, they're just not as informed as people perceive them to be. And one bad move can really knock someone out of the game. And so I love that you've taken it upon yourself like Robert Bruss did many years ago. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, briefly, uh, yeah. Yeah, he would, uh, was a real estate editor and he would review books and he just kind of took it upon himself to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. And it sounds like you're doing the same in a very challenging field. So kudos to you because I read all these books. And after, you know, if you do this long enough, your sniffer gets pretty strong. But when you're new, you just don't know. So good job. I love, I mean, I, I'm genuinely saying thank you because people need more of that. Well, that's, that's, I really appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you. It's, um, it's been an interesting journey. That's for sure. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing is that the book, it, it just, it completely changed my life. I want you to know that. I mean, people tell me that I, the audience reached feedback to us on the show and they say they, I, that the show in some ways has changed their life, but and that's great, and I'm not discounting that by any means, but this book has been, and, I, and Jay, I can tell you, there's just been so many people that I run into, my mentors, uh, friends of friends, and, and, and on and on, how, how powerful the message is in this book. Well, thanks. I mean, it's so relieving. We spent almost five years researching it. You know, you spend that much time alone with a manuscript. Um, it can, you can really have some demons when it comes out in the sense of just insecurities. All writers are fundamentally neurotic. That's just a fact. <laughs> and I remember, um, Ellen Curtis, uh, my, one of my good longtime friends, she's been with us for probably nine years, maybe at Keller Williams, maybe 10, maybe longer. And, uh, she's tough. She's a tough businesswoman, and she's not very sentimental. And she was one of the very first readers of the original manuscript. And I remember she wrote a note and it was just like one little card and said, this is good. This is really good. And I, I started crying. I was like, I was so relieved that we hadn't just wasted five years of our life. And so you want to help people. And um, year over year, the book is selling more. So, I mean, I think it's word of mouth at this point. So thank you. And um, that's why we wrote it. We wanted to help people. That's the mission that Gary's on. 
I jumped on board and 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 love it. That's the that's the reward. I got to tell you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I want to mention this on the show is that I I realized over the last few weeks, and I was preparing for this interview. I wanted to I read the book again just to be up because well, frankly, I read it four times a year, but that's a whole other story. I uh, <laughs> I I you totally probably know more about it than me at this point. Right. I mean, that's great. I totally skipped over the fact that you've got a one thing website, and listeners, if you're listening, it's the the number one thing dot com, the one thing dot com, and talk about packed with resources. Well, thanks. I, I mean, that's the goal. Well, we just want to keep adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. Well, for, for the people who haven't heard about it, like I'm starting to feel self-conscious now um, <laughs> and, and, and maybe a little bit uh, embarrassed because that's is almost too much praise for me to handle. The um, I just say, what would you say is the, the core of it? I mean, I think the core idea of the book, I mean, it's the surprisingly simple truth behind the extraordinary results. It's nothing terribly new. Um, I think it's just a different approach to helping people understand kind of how Pareto's principle works and how to actually implement it in your life. Do you think that's a fair summary? I do, and, but it goes the next step. It, it's, a, it's become a culture. The way you've got it set up, you've got the opportunity for someone like me who is, is an influencer in my community where I, I do in-person events and whatnot. I can now take those training materials. You've got a slideshow in there. I can put that out to my tribe, to my, the people that, that – come to me for advice and guidance, and I can share this information that's right from your company out into the public. That's outstanding. I mean, that's just, wow. Yeah, you know, we have we did that with all of our books, and we've had people like, why are you giving it away? Our competition can teach this now. And I'm like, I, it's not a zero-sum game. You know, I think our goal was to reach people, and if people are feel empowered to go out and teach, um, you know, I mean, I, I took, you know, that famous guy in the Bible, 12 apostles. I mean, I'll take all I can get, right? Because I, I know I need a lot more. Um, but we, it's an important message. Like my wife and I, she, unfortunately, my kids, you know, they were the the guinea pigs in all of this. And they heard me talking about it all the time. <laughs> but we, we lived we lived the book. We've lived it um, in our personal life. We lived it in our work life. We've lived it in our investing life. And uh, it's funny, we were driving in Yellowstone Park, and I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but there's a lot of time in the car driving between places. And so we were playing, um, you know, uh, Would You Rather, you know, right. different. And so my son, who at the time was like seven years old, I guess, eight years old, uncorks. My wife's the realtor, right? The Papasan Properties Group. Would you rather be stuck in an elevator with mom talking to her clients or dad talking about his book? And we just all like guffaw. <laughs> it's just so true. We both love our work and we talk about it all the time. Um, all right. So what when we think about this, maybe in, should we look at the book through the lens of an investor or just through the lens of just being the most productive people we could be? What would be the most helpful here? I'd like to see it from the eyes of an investor because I think that's going to be the biggest benefit to my audience. Okay. Well, um, I've already said the big idea, you know, it's kind of a, an approach to implementing Pareto's principle, the 80, 20 rule, um, in your life. Um, I think that's, how do we focus on the real priorities in a world where we have all this stuff going on? Yes. Um, so we, we started the book with some lies and we don't by any means have to go through all of them, but there's a few of them I'd like to highlight. And the first one is, a, you know, it's a way that the world talks. It's actually not helping us. And I think the, the first one's worded, you know, everything matters equally is a lie. Mm -hmm. And this is really about Pareto's principle. Um, and it's that 
our lives are so filled up with all these opportunities and obligations, if that's who we were writing it to, we think about the, the busy people with all the soccer moms and they have you know parents to take care of and kids to take care of. Well, that's not unlike the beginning investor, right? I mean, I remember we had all of this information flying at us and it was so hard to decide like, well, where do we start? Do we form a company? Do we go out and start bird dogging properties? Do we focus on saving our you know, down payment so we can actually buy something if we find it? Do we just read books? Do we find, I mean, th the list is forever. And so one of the first kind of like little exercises in the book is this idea of extreme Pareto. And most of us operate from to-do list. We had them even in our investment world. Right. And if you look at all the things that you could do, um, most people know right away that there's only a handful of things that are real priorities, things that you should do. And we encourage people to create a separate list with just those things on it, right? We have these laundry lists. Maybe you have a notebook or an app and you just write stuff down. You want to take the important things and move them onto their own page okay. and then do one more step. And that's just to prioritize them. You know, if you could only get one thing done this week or this month, whatever you, the time frame your, your list considers, what would that one thing be? And that becomes your number one. And if you got that done and had time for another one, what would be number two? And that becomes number two. And you work your way down the list. And I've walked, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of people through this quick exercise where I'll have them pull out their to-do list and do it. It doesn't take more than about three or four minutes. But the problem is we're always so busy and kind of overwhelmed. We don't stop to do that. And so we tend to do the stuff to just make the list shorter, to feel like we're making progress, even though... We're doing a lot of activities that aren't very productive in themselves. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But I do have a question off of that. The trouble I've had, I'll be honest with you, is, and I know a lot of my of the listeners that have reached out to me have said the very same thing. How do you know what gets priority? I mean, that's the difficulty I, I have. I struggle with. It seems like everything seems to fall into priority on some days. Um, well, we have a question at the heart of the book. Um, and we use that. I'll, t I'll tell you honestly, I, I'll, I'll share the question and then I'll tell you my observation. The question is, what's the one thing I can do such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary? And it's a very specific wording and we don't have to go into the backstory on that. Right. But that's where I, we want people to start with phrasing that. You look at your list and what's the one thing, not two or three, but what's the one thing I can do? That means you can currently do it. It's not you could, should or would. We want people to get into action such that by doing it just says that there's something else that'll happen besides just the one thing, right. everything else will be easier and necessary. Um, you know, we use the metaphor of lining up your dominoes. If you line them up, you can knock over the first one and they all fall down. You're looking for the longest domino run in your current arsenal. So what's the thing that will get you the most reward if you did it today? And in my experience, this is the thing that surprises me. Most people know what it is and feel guilty for not doing it. <laughs> Busted. Right? Yeah, and that's true. And they don't want to look at that. That's an uncomfortable thing to stare at because they know they're not doing it and they know they should be doing it. So they do all the stuff that's around it to make themselves feel better. But when you ask the question, it usually highlights the right thing. And most people know it. I will say this. Some people doubt themselves. Like, I just, I'm new to this. I'm not sure. Um, and I tell people, trust your instincts. Chances are you're right. And I can't really speak for their lives or their priorities. They probably intuitively know them better. But if they start with that question, 
they're not going to be very far from ground zero. All right. If they're a few feet off in doing that first thing, they'll realize, oh, wait, it's just over there. Exactly. Um, that's the way it usually works. So don't overthink it. Um, as best you can, get to your number one priority. Um, if I lined up those dominoes for a beginning investor, um, there's not a lot of them. Um, I think the first thing is, you know, understanding wealth and why you're building it. Um, in, in some of our books, we referred to this as having a big why. And the one thing we talked about it as, as knowing what your purpose was. And the reality is my wife and I, when we started our investing journey, um, for the first, we, we set a goal to be net worth millionaires in 10 years. And we wanted to own 10 properties in 10 years. Right. And, um, we actually kind of, um, and have 75,000 in cash flow. Right. Those were the, the goals. And we kind of hit our net worth goal in about six. It took us longer to get to our cash flow goals. Um, but it surprised us. But for the first, um, I guess, three, three and a half years, our, I mean, our total household income, both of our salaries together didn't add up to 100,000. Hmm. And so for us to have the money to invest in real estate investments, we had to not spend it on other stuff. So we were living on 70% or less of our income that entire time and saving the rest. And it requires sacrifice in the beginning so that you can invest disproportionately during these, you know, the aggressive growth years so that you can get the big rewards because time is what really does the trick in investing, right? Absolutely. You hold real estate, um, appreciating assets with the debt being paid down and cash flows coming out. You look up and five years later, it's a lot better. And 10 years later, it can be a really a lot better, right? So you want time to work for you, but it's, it's getting in the game as aggressively as you can up front. That takes sacrifice. So you got to know why you're doing it. So in the millionaire real estate investor, um, we defined financial wealth as having the passive income to finance your, your, your mission in life without having to work. And that's where that $75,000 came from, for my wife and I. We looked up, and for us, um, we weren't sure what our mission was yet, right? Right. But we, we could kind of identify our lifestyle and said, you know what? If we had paid off of our debt, if we had $75,000, we tend to drive older cars that are paid for cash. I'm not into flashy stuff. You know, I wear a sports watch, not a Rolex. Right. You know, it's that sort of thing. I'm just like, if we had $75,000 a year, that would be huge. You know, we would have a lot of fun. We could travel. We could eat, you know, out and have fun and buy gifts. And, you know, our priorities would be we would feel financially free. We called it kind of our go to hell fund. Like, <laughs> we never wanted to be trapped by a job. Like I would never want to have to go to work at a place whose values I didn't agree with um, or who were doing things I didn't value um, because I needed the money. And so for us, that was the motivation, right, to be financially free. And so I think figuring out what that is, and I usually ask people, you know, they're not sure. I just say, take a stab at it, right? right. What do you think it is? And ask a couple of questions. One, what will having that do for you? And for us, the pos that's the positive side. You know, if we're financially free, we don't have to work for jerks. We can go travel the world. We can live abroad, like all the positive things. And then ask the second question, um, what will be the consequences if you fail? Mm, yes. And if there's not, yeah, yeah. If there's not a little bit of an emotional tightness in your chest, you might not have found it yet. When I think about the consequences of failure, we would get emotional 
right? We've got to make this figure, we've got to figure this out. And I think that that's when you've kind of stumbled on something that um, might be purpose with a lowercase p, right? It right. could be your big Y in, in, in the making. Um, it's truer motivation, right? It's got a little bit of pain attached. That to me is really the first step because you know this journey. Um, it takes a little courage. It takes a little sacrifice. The rewards are amazing Absolutely. for people who do it. But you, for me, I, I, I think people need to figure it out. It's not because they want to be rich. I don't think that really does it for people. Well, I like what you say about, you know, I'm a big believer or a big follower of Robert Kiyosaki and his principles. And that's what got me and like most people got them started in real estate investing. I, I got on board with those principles and whatnot. But you take it to ne the next level. I like what you said about having the money to to not only be free, but to accomplish your your mission's work, to go beyond oh, yeah. that, to take it to the next level. I, and I, I, I'm the same thing. I mean, Gary introduced me to... Kiyosaki, and he's kind of the gateway drug to real estate investing, right? I right. mean, he's yeah. <laughs> rich dad, poor dad, and then cash flow quadrant, which I loved. Um, that, that to me is actually my favorite book. Is it really? Um, but yeah, then you start diving into it. But I read a book, and I'm looking at my bookshelf. I can't leave the microphone, but it was like, and it's it's not something anyone should run out and buy, but it was like successful rentals for the small investor. Right. And it was a woman who lived in Colorado and she was investing in the eighties and her whole strategy, this is why I don't want people to buy it was to get variable mortgage rates on their rental properties. Oh my. Because if you go back in time, you know, in 1985, 86, I mean, interest rates went all the way up to 17%. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, in a time where interest rates are just sound like alien compared to today, she was living in a time where every year the interest rates tended to go down. So if she could cash flow a dollar year one, and then over the course of five years, it went from 17% to 12%, her cash flow might triple, you know, like it'd be really, really valuable. Oh, so yeah. it was a cool book for that time. But what stayed with me was her whole goal is that she dreamed of being able to write romance novels. And so she figured out, like, how much money would I have to make for my rentals so that she could write romance novels that didn't even have to sell? And, um, you know, for me, like, I was like, OK, I get that. Like, you know, what would set you free? Um, and for her, that was what her dream was, you know. And, and, and I, I, as somebody who grew up reading fantasy books as a small kid and a nerd, you know, providing escapism for other people may be someone's life mission. So I'm not here to judge it. Awesome. Go do it. Just go figure it out. And then I think that that makes the, the, the journey that much easier. Yes, it certainly does. That's a great analogy. I really that's yeah, that definitely rings true. You know, yeah. your, your book, you talk about extraordinary results are directly determined by how narrow you can make your focus. And yeah. this statement has made me sometimes wonder, is it possible to have too narrow of a focus? Could it prevent me? And this is a fear that I have inside of me. And I'm going to be a little selfish here for a minute. Talk about me is. It, that'll prevent me from maybe discovering additional opportunity. You may be hearing that very statement as well. Tyler's just got shiny object. Is that the case? And be honest, or what am I missing in this? <laughs> um, you know, I think it feels, it feels like how far off the path is it? I think if you know where you're ultimately going, um, it's a lot harder to be pulled astray. Like if you know what your mission is and why you're doing it, people tend to be pretty determined about not leaving that path. Um, one of the lies that didn't make it into the book, um, it's something we kicked around for a long time is the low hanging fruit is a lie. And here's, here's why I, I share that. 
um, if your goal, right, is to be um, financially, uh, to build financial wealth, and, and fundamentally, you know, you can focus on your net worth, but we only focused on that measure. Um, there's a lot of benefits to doing that. Um, but we had an expectation that at a certain net worth, we would have a certain amount of cash flow, right? There would be a yield on that much wealth because you can't live on net worth without selling it. Exactly. Live on cash flow. And so I think that you have to be real clear, you know, about your criteria and what it'll take to get where you're going. And if you are, then you're not tempted. Like you see, oh, wow, here's a chance to make some quick money. Well, you know what? That's going to be capital gains. That's actually not actually getting me closer to my goal. I'm going to save my money for something that's in line with where I'm going. So I, I don't want to make it like, oh, you can only buy four-sided brick, you know, houses in a certain county because that's your your focus is that narrow in terms of your criteria. I think that your focus should be very much on what does it take today to get where I want to go tomorrow. And that's where I would be really, really hard on yourself. I see. That makes perfect sense. And the parallel there is that, you know, I do the podcast and you, I know you have a podcast now that you guys have just started doing. And um, yeah. I, obviously you realize it's not a uh, it, podcasting generally is not a source of income. If it, and, and I tell people this and we're part of the podcast movement and, and all that pod fest. They'll tell you at all those functions that don't get into podcasting for the money and <laughs> get into no. it for providing value to the that, marketplace. They say that to authors too, by the way. Okay, good, good. All content creators, right? Yep. So, you know, I, but podcasting is my passion. I can get my message out. I can, when, when the phone rings on a Sunday afternoon, because somebody has just listened to my show, they were at some seminar, they were getting ready to drop $200,000 on a weekend boot camp on how to flip houses. And they walked out because of what I taught them. And even though I've never met them, that's my why. That's what keeps me turning that mixer on and doing this because I know that I'm making a difference out there with the people who listen to my show. That said, I still have to eat. <laughs> yeah. So it, you know, and trying to balance that with, I, I'm a syndicator. I buy apartment buildings and I bring people together and uh, pool the resources. And we, we, we do uh, that in commercial. And I'm also a commercial agent as well. So it's difficult sometimes to, to figure out, okay, all three are important. I know the two functions, the, the investing piece that I eat off of that. But the podcast is kind of my life's work. That's that's my passion. Well, you so. know what? I'll, I'll give you even a better break on that. Because I, I mean, we, when we looked at the podcast, I see that as a legitimate business driver. I think it can be a great way to get your message out and also be a form of lead generation. So when I looked at the the, the core, like the core priorities for an investor way back when we first wrote the book, you know, they need to know, understand criteria and terms. And the last one was network. Mm -hmm. And what a, what a more powerful way to learn and to grow your network than to be the teacher every single week. You're the interviewer and the teacher. So you're facilitating learning, which forces you to grow and build your network at the same time. So I see it as being actually in great alignment for all the things that you've said. And, you're, and it additionally feeds your, your, your life mission, which makes it a super bonus. So I think it's, it's not a shiny object at all. It doesn't drive revenue directly, but I would imagine it has a lot of indirect dividends that pay off down the line. Oh, and I'm sure it will. Absolutely. I've been quite happy with how the show has, has the growth the show's undertaken and whatnot. And that brings me to the, the next question I have for you. And, and it's funny because I, I share this with people that meet me and in person, they think that's not even possible. But I've heard you describe yourself. I've listened to you on other shows and I've seen presentations you've done online and whatnot, speeches you've given. And 
you describe yourself as somewhat of an introvert, yet you're on stage, you're in front of people, you're all over the place, you're, you know, doing all these different public events. It's, it's just part of who you are now, uh, since you've become, you got into the writing and you've released the books. How does that work? How do you do that as a, as an, as an introvert? Um, gosh, that's a, that's a journey in itself, right? Um, I remember the first time Gary called me on stage, right? So here's the partner slash coach slash mentor all in one. Um, our other writing partner, a guy named Dave Jinks, brilliant, brilliant guy, um, had left the partnership and gone off to do something new. And Gary was going to go on stage in front of about 6,000 people um, in Orlando, Florida for our big annual event. I had helped him prepare. Like I always helped them prepare. And it was usually both of them, but he was going to go solo this year. Right. And um, I got a call at 5.30 in the morning that he was now wanting me to be on stage with him at 9 a.m. And so, like, I just, like, you know, want to throw up, go through <laughs> all of that. But I don't even have time. You know, I have to get dressed. I have to pick out an outfit. I actually had duties I had to do before I walked on stage. And so um, that was kind of um, got thrown in the deep end right off the bat. And then I knew I didn't die. I didn't, you know, I didn't <laughs> great. I didn't die. Um, and then what I realized is I, I went backstage afterwards and I said, please don't ever do that to me again. He goes, I won't promise that you say you want to be an author. Um, and that's your goal. And my job is to get you there. Well, what do authors do when they have a book to promote? So hmm. you better get used to it. And he was just cut and dry. He walked off and I was like, I said some things that probably weren't <laughs> nice under my breath, Right. but I went back and I just remember, um, I made a commitment that I wouldn't go longer than a month without teaching somewhere. And I made a commitment to get, we have an in-house training program. Um, it's a master faculty. I made a commitment to myself that I would do everything I could to get into that. And so I started teaching and I started having people in the faculty program observe me and give me feedback. And I remember this woman, Tony Tellerico, said in one of my first classes, and she said, in the, she stopped counting at 48 ohms in the first half hour. Like I was horrible. Oh my. Oh yeah. Oh, oh my is right. But, you know, that's how you do it. You just do it again and again and again. And over time, you get better at it. Um, I don't get energy. The, the difference for me is I can become capable at doing these things, um, even good in some areas, right? I, I, I'm passionate about talking about the one thing and investing. Hopefully that shows. Yes, it does. Um, they've changed my life, so I, I still really enjoy that. Um, so there's extra enthusiasm but it also takes energy. So introverts, they're totally capable. A lot of the CEOs, especially the tech ones, are actually huge introverts. They go on stages, they promote their product, they're passionate about it, which is why they're willing to go through that awkward phase to get there, but it takes energy. I guarantee you they walk off just like me and they're exhausted. Um, I get energy from being alone, reading a book, watching a movie, being in nature. Um, I go to a convention because as a business person, I know I need to, and I go out and do the networking activities I need to do. I'll never be as good as an extrovert at them, but I can be competent, right? Correct. It just takes energy rather than gives it. So that would be the wisdom. If there's somebody out there that is in that same boat, there's nothing that prevents you from doing it. Just realize that it takes more effort and it takes a little bit more energy, but there's nothing that should stop you. Is it fair that, you know, you? It, it's the passion that I think that the sum total there, it's the passion that drives you for me when I'm, when I did my first few cash flow events where I'm in front of people and I'm, I'm teaching and whatnot, I, I was teaching when I was 
certainly not an expert in the subject, but I forced myself at the time to get out there and do it and just decided that and I tell my audience this on a regular basis, I can't learn and look good at the same time. It's just not possible. <laughs> That's a good line. I'm stealing that. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, but it's true. It's true. But I, I, I am passionate about what I'm doing. I'm passionate about, um, I've always dreamed of being a writer and you know, I, I, I knew the truth of what Gary said and I was like, okay, you know, you can't be a race car drive. You can't be a race car driver and be afraid of driving, right? You got to get behind the wheel. That's correct. And so part of the job of being a successful author, not only you have to write the books, but you have to help promote them. And, um, I've made my peace with it. Um, I say no a lot now, um, not because I don't want to, but because now I can say yes to the things that I'm interested in and I don't want to leave my family that much. So I just say yes a couple of times a month and I support the book. And when we launch the next one, I'll probably say yes more, but then I will siphon it back off so that I don't get too far out of balance. I like the fact that you, you, you're okay with saying no. That was a big struggle I had early on until, of course, I discovered the number one thief that you talk about in the book, the inability to say no. Yeah, that's a huge one. Um, the first two are both big. If you are people, like, I think of all the Myers-Briggs, DISC, all those behavioral tests, right? One of the things they all measure is whether you're people-oriented or task-oriented, you know? Um, and if you're people-oriented, it can be really, really, really difficult to say no, right? You don't like That's to disappoint correct. people. Um, I tend to be task oriented. I actually don't have that much trouble saying no to people. Um, the people I love a lot, it can be tough, but I, I don't like the second thief is fear of chaos. For me, it's when things get out of control that I get really uncomfortable. And I just think depending on who you are, one of those will be the thing that can keep you from moving as far and as fast as you would like to because you didn't say no when you should have, or you stopped to clean up the messes you were making when the messes are often a byproduct of big success, right? Correct. Um, it's okay. You know, success is not neat and tied up in a bow. Um, it's, it's, it's a bunch of crinkled, you know, wrapping paper after Christmas. That's what success looks like. And so I, I just, those of you, I love that you brought that up because those are big points for people. Um, if someone struggles with saying no, I think the number one tip I could give them, and I'm not even sure this is in the book, is you can say no, but say it as in not now. Um, hey, I'm sorry, I can't right now. Would next week be okay? I see, okay. Push it into the future. Oh, awesome, I can help you out. How about next Tuesday? Let's pull out calendars. I'm pretty booked up right now. Um, but what about you know December 15th? Does that look okay to you? And if it's super urgent, you, you may have to make a choice. But a lot of times, you know, people are just wanting to put things on your plate. They actually don't have any urgency to them. And so you can kind of say yes, but now you're saying yes on a time frame where you can wait till there's that Friday afternoon where you can just kind of knock out some stuff that's not important to you. It's not taking away from your priorities. Um, I think the biggest mistake is that people, their boss walks by, say, do this, and they hear now, even though the boss doesn't say it. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I get that. I get that with my wife. She tells me shit, something needs done. I think it needs to be means now. <laughs> so well, I'm not going to coach you away from that. This is your wife. That's, that's right. Up. That's right. Right. I don't want to endanger, but I do say, you know, that's when I usually offer up a time frame that works for me. Right. Hey, is it okay if I do that after this football game? And exactly. if I hear a no, then I'm off to the running, right? I'm not <laughs> running, but um, great. No problem. I'm happy to help you out. I'll, I'm going to hit pause and I'm going to be right in there. Um, <laughs> You can you just manage the expectation. And I think most really busy, powerful people who are assigning things to you, like our wives, right? Yep. Um, 
they, they want it off their plate and they want to trust that it's going to be done. And if you tell them those things, yes, it'll be done. You can trust me. I've got it. I heard you. Um, a lot of times, this is like, this is like you know, in, in negotiations, they get to name the price, but you get to name the terms. Great. I'm going to handle it next week. There you go. There you go. Before we wrap up, Jay, I want to talk about the 66-day challenge. Can you give us an overview of what, the, what it's all about from your perspective? Sure. I mean, you know, when you figure out the one thing that matters to you, I think it makes a lot of sense to make that thing a habit, right? Um, it's like brushing your teeth. When you, I have an 11-year-old and a, and a 12-year-old, um, they, the habit is not formed. I can guarantee you. It still takes a lot of nagging from the parents to get the teeth brushed. But you and I, like, we can stumble out of the, you know, into the bathroom in the morning and, and get it done. So that habit is prolonging our life. It's like brushing and flushing your teeth adds more years to our lives than just about anything else we can do. So don't underestimate it. So we, we, we thought long and hard. And so I think there's a lot of misconception around habits and how long it takes to form them. Thankfully, there's a lot of great books coming out. But people used to think it took 21 days. And they would go out and pursue lots of things at once. Like a New Year's resolution might be, I'm going to look good for bikini season. And that means they're exercising and dieting, which means they have to change what time they go to bed, what time they get up to exercise. They have to, to, to eat differently. They have to shop differently and prepare food differently. It's this tangled mess of behaviors, which is why 88% of them fail. So we wanted them to figure out the one thing that mattered most, right? That, that success list that... You narrow it down. What's the one thing that if I did it makes everything easier? And then you make that thing a habit. For my wife and I, um, we did a series of habits. And then I'm, I promise I'm getting to the 66-day challenge. I'm just building the stage. No, I'm fine. For us, we made a commitment. For us to buy one rental property a year, we had to save 1500 bucks every month. And by hook or crook, we had to do that. We had a separate account for it. And we would move it over there and steal from it if we were short that month. And I had to do lots and lots of freelance those first few years on the side to make that happen. But that was our one thing that had to happen. And as soon as it looked like, you know, that was something that was a habit for us, then we were looking at property all the time. And those were the two fundamental investor habits that in terms of acquiring, right? So you looked for things that met your criteria and you had to actually save up money to buy them, you know, takes both of those that we formed over a period of time. So the 66-day challenge is informed by some research that we found. Um, you know, there's no research that suggests it takes 21 days. But there was a group of Australian researchers and London researchers that asked um, a series of graduate students to take on a health habit. And they found that on average, after 66 days, it got as easy as it was going to get. And so while that average number is a lot better than 21 days, it's three times as long, right? Right. A lot more likely to stick with something if they go that long. Um, it is, it is, it's, it's still an average. You know, like what's the average temperature in America today? You know, who cares? I've got a dress for Austin. Exactly. But it, it's a stat. So within that 66 days, there were some habits that formed after 18 and some that took 250. But we, we went with the 66. You can download a calendar on our website. Um, I've got one on my door right now. I'm 62 days into a meditation challenge. Um, we did it as a company, um, a de-stressing. I think 90 different people took a 66-day challenge where we all tried to take on a new behavior and make it a habit. Some people walked, some people swam, some people did yoga. I, I tried to meditate, which is something I'd failed several times. And you just X off the days. 
And what's great about it is that, you know, for the first few days, it's about meditation. But now I can guarantee you, I mean, if I could show you a picture of my wall, you know, I've got this chart and it's just all red X's except for like six days. Like, I don't want to break the chain. Yeah, you're right? so close. I've got momentum now and momentum kicks in and it's, it's proven. And I don't know if you remember, there's a story we shared in the book um, about Jerry Seinfeld. And that's where the, the, we took the 66 days and married it with Jerry Seinfeld. And that's how we got the 66 day challenge. Um, a guy walked up to him backstage at an open mic event and said, hey, Mr. Seinfeld, I want to be a comedian. What should I do? And I love his answer on so many levels. He said, oh, it's easy. Just write a joke every day. Yeah. Um, it's the one thing. Go write a joke every single day. It's simple, but it's not easy. And he, then then the thing that made it really noteworthy is here's how to do it. Go buy one of those wall calendars that has every day of the year on it. It's like a poster, the grease board. And every day you write a joke, a joke, just put a red X over that day. And pretty soon it won't be about writing jokes. It'll be about not breaking the chain. And um, I'll tell you, it's super effective. I've done a number of these over the years. Um, we do them in our, our company. Um, you know, so I think I would challenge people, you know, maybe start their new year with one. You know, what's a, a habit that they could acquire that would help them as investors? Maybe managing their money or I don't know. What would be a great habit? Looking at properties. Look at one property every day yeah. and evaluate it. Something that would make them smarter and better at what they're doing. Self-improvement, for that matter, reading a book. Because, you know, there's times, I'm sure you've experienced this, where you, you just get busy and you get behind on your reading. And let me tell you, i got a library that makes most people shudder. It's like, wow, look at all the books you got. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but I haven't read half of them. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's the old problem of having a smart bookshelf. But exactly. It's not in your head. Yeah, I, I, I set a goal every year of reading 50 books. That's like about a book a week. And I, I fall short usually, but I've, I've kind of got my, my periods of time set up, you know, by the time we get the kids to bed, I'm in my yellow armchair and I've got like a LaCroix cola or something there. And I'm, I'm trying to get in at least two or three chapters a night. There you go. That'll do yep. it. Well, I'm an author. So I mean, if I don't read, I'm an idiot. Well, so. yeah, cause you'd kind of be a false prophet, wouldn't you? Yeah. I would tell people though that, um, millionaires there's some good research out there read on average two books a month so um they they invest in themselves i mean what does warren buffett do all day long he yeah. reads books he i think he publicly said he, he estimates he spends 80 percent of his time reading and thinking that's amazing isn't it well i mean it, it makes sense right because he he has more perspective to bring to bear on any situation and that's the edge he brings to every negotiation and um, so he's reading and he's reading to be smarter and he's reading to be better. And so if you're new to the investing game, I mean, you've already named like we've named two of the classics, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant. Um, there's probably a list on your website. Do you have a list of your favorite real estate books? Actually, that's coming up here. I've done a couple episodes on it, but yeah, we're going to be doing some more revamp it to the site. And we're going to do a book club on there as well to help people out. That's great. Yeah, then do that. And then I think if people just commit to reading, you know, a book every couple of weeks, in the beginning, it's going to be like, I don't even understand what I'm reading. Um, and then they're going to look up and in five or six months, they're going to be surprised by how smart they've become. That is for sure. That is for sure. Jay, this has been outstanding. I've got one last question for you. It's going to Yes, sir. It's gonna it's gonna throw you for a loop. It might make you think a little bit. But then again, you're a pretty savvy guy. So you might just spit out the answer right away. And it's if 
my audience, a lot of them are experienced investors, but I have a lot that are brand new and they're, they're considering many different things right now. And they're trying to figure out what do they do? Do they even want to get into this investing game in any respect, whether it be stocks, real estate, whatever the new to the new real estate investor, the person that's decided that real estate is their thing. What's the one thing they can do so that if they did that, they would have a greater sense, greater chance of success than if they didn't do it. Um, well, we started with, I think, figure out why they're going to take the journey. I think that they do need to understand how wealth is built. Um, I, I think we've already kind of talked about it, man. I, I like I said, I, I gave this speech Perfect. a few times. I've thought about it. Um, I usually guide people to the first 90 to a hundred pages of the millionaire real estate investor. Um, some of the, the, the tactics are a little dated now. They're still true, but they're a little dated. But the first hundred or so pages, you know, I'm privileged to work with a billionaire now. And that's that was his letter to his son about how to think about money. Some cash flow quadrant. There's some classics out there. If you understand how money works, you'll be smarter with it. And then, I mean, you got to learn to live on less than you earn or you'll never have any money to invest. It's, It's really that simple. And it's 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 simple, but hard to do for a lot of people. So if you're on the negative side, you're you're in deep debt. I'd recommend like a Dave Ramsey, um, one of those hardcore programs. But I mean, he's a, a, a get out of deep debt kind of specialist. I don't agree with his wealth building principles that much. I don't either. Uh, he doesn't believe in debt. And that's something that Gary called him on in person. Um, I do believe in debt. I just has to be smart. But there are a lot of good authorities and you just you've got to fix that. Um, before you can make progress. Otherwise, you're going to be adding more and more money to a hole that's bleeding, right? Exactly. It's just going to pour out the other side. So maybe that's more than you asked for, but or not enough, you tell me. But that to me is kind of where it all starts. I mean, I, I teach a class. I want people to understand why they want to do it. I want them to understand the fundamentals of how money is made and lost, you know, value. How do you How do you find value in real estate? not that hard, right? You can, no, you can just look at properties for a few months and something will jump out and go, wow, this seems underpriced. You know, nothing else other than just looking at properties in a specific area, things are going to start to stand out. You will get smart. And then you got to save money. I do not believe in nothing down investing. I do not believe in it at all. Um, you have to either bring a partner to the table or bring your cash. And um, I prefer bringing some cash and being invested in it too so that you have a voice and uh, you know, those are the basic ingredients that'll take you a long ways. That certainly will. That is fantastic advice. Jay, you're a busy guy and I know I, I really appreciate you, you taking the time out of your busy schedule to spend some time with me and of course uh, my listeners. Love to have you back on the show at some point if you could ever break yourself free again and uh, just please keep up the good work. You're, the work you're doing out there is outstanding and, and I look forward to your next publication. Sure, man. And, and, and I'll say yes in advance. Um, when it, the time's right, reach out and we'll make it happen again. It, I mean, I do genuinely love talking about this. Um, it changed our life. I was an employee and I thought like an employee. And now I'm a business owner and I think like a business owner and an investor. And that's just been a transformation in the last decade. And um, I always am happy to share what I've learned um, and share the, mis- the many, 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 many mistakes so other people don't have to repeat them. So thank you for having me on your show and uh, God bless. And folks, there you have it. Have a great week this week. I hope you took away from this some, some I wouldn't even call them just 
not nuggets, shovelfuls of, of valuable information, information you can put to work today. If you haven't read the one thing, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go to Amazon. I'll put a link to it in the show notes if need be. Go to the One Thing website, pick up a copy, audio book, doesn't matter, print book, Kindle. Get the information in front of you, devour it, take action today. Speaking of taking action, if you are not a member of our Facebook group, go to Facebook or go to, I'm sorry, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group, cashflowguys.com forward slash group. Join our Facebook community. I'm going to post some of the information that we talked about on the show in the community. And of course, I'll have a link to the One Thing website and all that. So if you want to get out there and take those additional steps to learn to earn, you will then have the tools in front of you to do it. Thank you very much for listening to us this week. And until next time, have a great week. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.